The Hoop Collective is presented by Goodyear. Sometimes for inspiration, you just have to look up. For more than 60 years, the Goodyear blimp has fueled greatness on the gridiron by providing aerial coverage of some of the most legendary moments in college football history. When the Goodyear blimp rises above a stadium, it inspires players to reach higher and rise to the challenge of the game's biggest moments. Now it's your turn to go further with Goodyear. Discover tires made to rise above the rest. Learn more at Goodyear.com. Goodyear, more driven. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. Thank you for joining us. We are recording this on Sunday evening and joining us from Los Angeles is our Clippers beat writer, but really he is all over the entire map. He was just on the East Coast for like two weeks. Olm Young Masuk. Hello, Olm. How are you? What's going on, Wendy? Uh, nice hello from the Target parking lot. And oh, well, we were we don't reveal where we're actually re- the exact location <laughs> we're recording this from. I should point out that um, tomorrow, when the, when this podcast will post, you will be one of the people who are attending the Kobe Memorial. So um, that is going to be going on as this post. So um, we recognize it as a very somber and serious day, but. Um, uh, it is something that is going on after we record this podcast. So, um, and joining us from Austin, Texas, is Kirk Goldsberry. Uh, Kirk, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's nice to be here. How are you doing? Um, well, I I really enjoyed watching the Celtics and Lakers game today until the end, which was um, completely derailed by just officiating in general. It was just calls all over the place. Um, you know, I'm a pretty staunch defender i feel like of the officials i feel like uh very few people ever defend them and i feel like it's one of my roles is to be as fair as possible and back them up but if you've been listening to this podcast you know i feel like there's just been some some loose uh some loose officiating uh for a lot of the season and over the last couple of months especially and um i don't like it um guys when somebody refers to something as quote a mess oh this this team is a mess. Uh, <laughs> that situation is a mess. He's a mess. I don't like that because most of the time <laughs> it's really not that bad. Um, however, having said that, the end of that game, which was a really enjoyable game, was a mess. The officiating was all over the place. Um, reviews and stuff. And I just, it really kind of messed up a, a nice, uh, a nice game. And then, it, you know, it comes on the heels of, a strange call Saturday night in Atlanta, which has resulted in a protest. The Mavericks have filed a protest. Um, but before we talk about that, Kirk, did you watch the game? Did you get to see what I'm talking about? There was a, a call on LeBron James that was wild. There was a, a technical foul that was that was really strange. Um, a couple other calls. It's just it, it, the, the league is not in a great place right now with the officiating. No, and it was a showcase game between two of the iconic franchises, both firing on all cylinders. The game itself for about 46 minutes was spectacular. Um, and then the flow of the game and the flow of the broadcast got derailed. Oh, and we were robbed a lot of, <clears throat> we were robbed a lot of the sort of natural drama that was building. Um, so, you know, one thing is, did they get the calls right or wrong? And people can debate that. But I think, you know, from an administrative point of view, Brian, the league needs to look at, like, how we are slowing these sort of end of game sequences down and and sort of sucking a lot of the fun and energy out of that drama. Yeah, I guess they're trying to get it right on. But it just, you know, it's very difficult when you go to the review and different things are reviewable. My thing is, I don't I don't actually mind when they go to replay. I've been a guy that actually has spent a night in the replay center. I've gone to referee boot camp. Um, I understand the challenges that face them. I'm like you, Wendy. I tend to defend the officials more than criticize them um, because I know of the challenges. I know how much they work on things in the offseason. I know how much they're constantly trying to tinker and tweak as long as to me as they get the calls right. I don't care so much if it bogs down the game as long as they get it right. But I'll say this, Wendy and Kirk, you can chime in too. I feel like in the last two years, and Wendy, you and I have been covering this league for a long time, um, me since 1997. I, I can't remember a time in the last two years where there were more referees that I didn't even know who they were, didn't never recognize them. Did, I was like, who is this guy? It looks like there's like 15 to 20 new referees 
in the game, like in the last year or two that I had never heard of before. It feels like there's been a change of guard where a lot of the older refs have kind of like retired and moved on and these new refs are coming in. And I just don't like, I don't know if there's a correlation there between these new refs and the league trying to be transparent, doing all these different things and all these missed calls. But it, it seems to me there might be. Well, there's been a, a number of guys who've retired or moved to other positions within the league. That is a bit of a cyclical nature with that, but you know, yeah. um, and, and I think that that is something that is criticized is, you know, there's some young folks in the league who are getting some experience, but I don't know. I, I don't even want to talk about the official game anymore. I just want to, I just want to point out that, as I said a couple of weeks ago, tighten it up, got to tighten it up because we are getting with the current state of the, of the, of the officiating, we're going to have some problems in the, in the playoffs. Um, and, uh, I'm sure, I know that the league works very hard. I know a lot of these guys personally. Um, I know that they're working on it, but it's just not been very good. And, you know, the league has also been inconsistent in the way they have fined, um, they have fined guys this year. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when, um, Damian Lillard went smooth off after, um, a really questionable call. Um, it, you know, both in on the field or I mean on the court and uh, and in the locker room and the league just let it go. They didn't find him because they knew he was right. <laughs> well, now Mark Cuban has just we put out like six consecutive tweets ripping officiating um, to uh, last night and um, he's protested the game. Um, you know, in short, there was a goaltending call that was they blew the whistle. <laughs> and um and and called goaltending and the players kept playing because it was just the heat of the moment and it resulted in a um in a in a, in a putback basket by John Collins and uh, the Mavericks you know it was a tough loss for them they were without Luca and Chris Porzingis. it was a key moment in the game essentially uh, um cemented the game was in the last 10 seconds and the officials determined that the goaltending call was incorrect and that it was an inadvertent whistle, but then they allowed the putback after, you know, in theory after the whistle. And Cuban just went crazy. Now, in a normal situation, I think he's facing a fine of at least fifty thousand dollars, maybe more, because he's an owner and because he did it on Twitter uh, and because of his history. Um, <laughs> and there was no mention of it in the last two minute report. The last two minute report did not comment on the on the play. So. Are they going to find Mark Cuban tomorrow? <laughs> um, you know, if it's the wrong call in the, you know, they've set a precedent that they may not find him. But if it's the wrong call and then they and then they uh, find him, what are they saying? Um, so I, <laughs> it's a bit of a quagmire. Uh, so I'll just repeat myself: tighten it up, everyone across the board, tighten it up. Um, okay, so but I want to get back to the game. You know, it, the way I saw it, um, you know, LeBron made a made a couple of spectacular plays on the stretch, including what turned out to essentially be the game when he play on this crazy fadeaway shot. And this is the second straight close game that the Lakers have had where the, the other one was right before the all-star break in Denver, which they won in overtime um, where LeBron has really had his hands on the wheel going down the stretch. And I know Anthony Davis got to the line a little bit and he put up good points, but LeBron really controlled this game uh, all the way home and brought them home with it. Um, and that's something that wasn't happening as much earlier this season. He was really trying to get Anthony Davis, uh, you know, as the guy to bring him home. And they ran a lot of two-man action in this game uh, late, uh, you know, playing pick and roll with each other. But really, this was LeBron's uh, victory. And, oh, my, I, I think that, like, that's the way the Lakers are going to have to play. I mean, they – they don't have many high-quality wins this year. This was definitely a high-quality win. And just like the game in Denver, it was LeBron who brought him home. Yeah, the game in Denver to me was one where, if you remember in overtime, LeBron hit Anthony Davis for two big shots, I think, toward the end there. And I really loved how that kind of played out for them because LeBron was basically the facilitator. Anthony Davis was the finisher. And I think there are going to be some nights where, obviously, LeBron has to be the finisher too. But for me... If you're looking ahead for the Lakers, as we all are, I think, toward a Laker-Clippers showdown, um, you're going to need, in a seven-game series, seven amazing games from LeBron James, where he's going to have to battle through waves of defenders, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Patrick Beverly, 
Marcus Morris, all those guys, he's going to have to get Anthony Davis involved in that first quarter and have him finishing the way he did in that Denver game. And of course, then maybe he might take a last shot like he did today. But I really like when he does have Anthony Davis involved at the end because I feel like that is going to be the way they get past the Clippers is for Anthony Davis to really be that X factor that the Clippers are not going to be able to handle. But I think he's got to be option B. I think LeBron's got to be option A, Kirk. I don't. I mean, I think. I, I mean, if if Anthony can do it, that's a great. That's great. But I think it's got to be LeBron with his hands on on the on the on the joystick. And it will be. I mean, the thing is, and, and we had a thing on Countdown before the game today that I was essentially saying LeBron is, is one of two people in the MVP race. He's accounting for either as a scorer or as an assister, 61% of the Lakers' points uh, when he's on the court. <laughs> the on-off numbers are crazy, too. I think when he's on the court, they're, they're outscoring opponents by 11 per 100. When he's off, they're getting outscored by three. He is clearly the most impactful player uh, by a country mile on the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, and that showed up today, crunch time. He made the plays. Uh, but Ohm's right. Like Anthony Davis, I think both teams coming out of today's game, guys, can feel pretty good about what happened. Yeah. Uh, let me just start with the Celtics. Tough, tough loss. But was that the best game we've seen from Jason Tatum on a big stage? Maybe. I mean, he's had some good playoff games. That was certainly the best game I've seen him play recently. Uh, and the best part is he was attacking, attacking the rim. He had 15 free throws. Like this is this is the Jason Tatum we thought we were going to start to see around now, and, and he showed up in a big way. No shame in that loss in Staples today. But the Lakers didn't play that well, in my opinion. Anthony Davis can play a lot better than he played today. Uh, LeBron can play a little bit better. I mean, Kyle Kuzma and Rondo were really good, uh, and they kind of won the game uh, for, for them in that third quarter. I thought so. Yeah, man, it was a great game. I don't think anybody walks away from that game too disappointed though. Yeah, you know, Tatum only had um, double-digit free throws in, I think, five games all season until he came back from that uh, injury about three weeks ago. Well, two and a half, three weeks ago. And since that time, he has really been able to get to the line a lot. And um, I think he's had three um, multiple free th- or uh, double-digit free throw games in that span. And, you know, I, I, free throws aren't everything, but obviously it's it's pretty darn important. And not only that, but he shot the ball from three-point range great in the stretch. He, his overall percentage, it, it doesn't necessarily show up because he had one game where he went 0 of 7 and one game where he went 1 of 5, so that kind of messes with the percentage a little bit. But he's had some just terrific three-point shooting games. He had a, had a game where he had seven threes. Um, uh, against Atlanta, and so he is. Uh, he didn't have. Um, you know, he he had um, you know forty one points on twenty sh- uh, shots in this game. I mean that's just a dream situation on the road. He he did have a couple of missed bunnies in the fourth quarter when he he came back in with seven minutes to go. The game was either tied or the Lakers were up by two. Um, but this is the kind of player. That I, it wasn't just me, but you know, a lot of us thought he was after his rookie year. And then last year, for various reasons, some of which were his own doing, some of which were forces outside his control, he just had a real uh, spin his wheel season. And um, uh, Jackie has talked about uh, him on here. She wrote a big piece about it. Um, but I, I also was just super impressed by, and have been impressed by Jalen Brown. He didn't have his best game today um but uh you know at the end of those games you know they had lebron as i mentioned lebron and anthony davis were playing essentially pick and roll they ran it three or four times in the last five minutes and brad stevens had jason tatum on lebron and jalen brown on anthony davis and they would switch the pick and rolls and they were able to get some stops and they probably right now are going to bed thinking that they got the stop on LeBron that drew the foul that uh, gave the uh, Lakers some vital separation. Um, uh, you know, the, the uh, Brad Stevens reviewed it, had a, had a coach's challenge and um, ended up losing it, but it very easily could have gone. But they, they did a great job defending. And if the, if the clip, if the uh, Celtics are going to play small like that, Kirk, um, you are, you really need, you know, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Jason Tatum to be great on defense. And, and, you know, th- there was some, a lot of possessions where they were in this game. 
Yeah, they were all great, and they are very good, versatile defenders, size-wise, athleticism-wise. But the the Celtics, if there's something to be worried about from today's game, uh, it's definitely not those guys or the starters or LeBron and hitting that, hitting the that bench. The bench, dude. I mean, yeah. come on. I think they had three combined field goals I have in my notes from their bench players. Yeah. That's not good. You talk about playoffs? Yeah, the rotations get shorter, but you need production from your bench. You need double-digit production from your bench. Well, um, they, they, Kemba Walker was out today, so yeah. they were down a man. Um, but, you know, the game before this in Minnesota, Kemba didn't play, and they won, but they had four different guys score 25 points or more. That's yeah. not going to be the case most nights. You're going to need some support. Well, yeah. Tice, has, Tice has played pretty pretty well, too, recently. Tice, but like, Tice had a great game today. He's been great. I mean, the one thing I'll say about Jason Tatum and when we were in Boston with the Clippers and they went to that overtime game, it was a fantastic game. And Tatum, I mean, to me, was like just attacking Kawhi Leonard and Landry Shamit. And without any fear, if Kawhi was on him, he just went straight at him, got to the rim. He got to all of his spots. And I think you saw that today in that third quarter. When they put Anthony Davis on him, he just didn't care. He was just going by Anthony Davis, scoring over Anthony Davis. And then at one point, the Lakers had to put JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis to try and trap him out as yeah, far they were, away from the yeah, they were double Yeah, they were double teaming him at times. So if you're you're yeah. exactly right. And it's great. So, And I'm wondering, too, Wendy, when you just mentioned Jalen and uh, Tatum switching on LeBron and AD, how much will we see that perhaps come playoff time with the Clippers, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? On LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that could be pretty interesting too to see if those two can kind of do something like that. That would be uh, fun to watch. Yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, so you know Tatum against the Clippers in a win goes for thirty nine and nine nine rebounds, Um, and then you know in the Lakers in a a tight in a tight loss, which either could have gone easily either way, he goes for forty one. So those performances against the two LA teams in the last three games with the All Star break in between, but. uh, um, pretty good for the Lakers. Um, and I really do think I've mentioned this before. Um, but one of the most important things that they can do in the second half of the season, because they've got a nice cushion on the number one seed, not even yeah. the number one seeds that vital, but they have got to figure out who their five closing players are, who their five best are. And this is something that Frank Vogel is going to spend a lot of time doing, you know, in, in today's case, <clears throat> He couldn't rely on Danny Green. Danny Green had a poor game. Yeah. And so Danny Green was iced. And it was Kyle Kuzma who was having a good game. <clears throat> and Rondo played well today. Um, but And I think I think you see him use KCP a lot down the stretch. He does seem to trust KCP defensively and also offensively to be able to knock down an open shot every now and then. Yeah, but you know, the in that Denver game which we mentioned. Um, he didn't, you know, Kuzma didn't see the floor. So, you know, look, not every team is going to have the same five. There's going to be some, you know, some liquidity in your lineups. But I, I think he's going to be searching a little bit. Now, um, so today, Mark Keith Morris cleared waivers from the Pistons. And he is going to sign, uh, according to Woj, um, a $1.75 million exception, which they actually got from the DeMarcus Cousins injury. So he gets some money, some, some more money than the minimum to go sign with the, uh, with the Lakers. And, you know, I would assume that he's going to compete, um, to be one of those five guys. He's having a, a pretty solid season for Detroit. Um, he's shooting 40% on threes, just underneath 40%. That's a really good number playing next to LeBron. But Kirk, my, my concern, as you mentioned with the on off numbers for LeBron is, they haven't been able to find a guy who I think that they can be their point guard when LeBron's sitting and still be effective, and that's that's worrisome because you know you, you got to watch those minutes for LeBron. You got to you got to protect him a little bit, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, especially at age thirty five, and you know better than anybody that you know some of those Cavs series against the Warriors, they were just clinging on for dear life when LeBron was on the bench. I think we could see that again with this Lakers team. To your point, uh, LeBron's thirty five. How many minutes a game can he play? In the playoffs, let's say it's 38, Brian. Who is going to run the offense for the other 10 minutes of a playoff game against the Clippers, against the Rockets? Maybe it's Rondo. Maybe, 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 maybe it's by committee. Uh, I don't know. But the, the stats when LeBron is off right now are a giant red flag. If there's one big red flag with the Lakers, it's that exact thing. And the playoffs are much less forgiving of poor offenses. Uh, 
that 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 don't have an obvious leader. Um, and yeah, not to bring it back to the Cavs again, but Brian, I'm, I'm curious. Those Cavs teams held on for dear life, and do you think that's a, is a fair comparison with this Lakers team as they approach the playoffs? Um, it's definitely a worry. You know, they tried to trade for Derrick Rose. They tried to talk Darren Collison out of um, out of retirement, and they tried to sign Reggie Jackson. Um, there's a reason why they've been going that route. They've been trying to get the, another ball handler. Um, I don't know if Dion Waiters is uh, is an answer, um, but but they're going to give Dion a look. They had a meeting with him last week. I expect that they will have a workout with him um, in the short term and see what kind of condition he's in. But they're mulling it over, and it's because yeah. you know they need some sort of perimeter player who can score a little bit, even if he's not a great. Um, even if he's not a great, you know, ball handler, you know, initiate the offense guy, you can have Alex Caruso do some of that. And uh, like you said, Rondo, they, they just need somebody who, who can maybe get him a basket or two. And and Waiters <clears throat> may be that guy. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Deion Waiters is a salvation for anything. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's, um, you know, his former agent is uh, is Rob Palenka. And, but I will say that... <laughs> You know, LeBron and Dion did not exactly get along uh, in, in the Cleveland. So, and maybe that's where the, you know they're taking a look at J.R. Smith. Obviously, J.R. has been working out. Um, you know, one thing I was told besides the perimeter scoring that they need, they they want like a veteran who can just score, and if he misses a couple of shots, isn't worried about it. He'll keep shooting. But they also feel they need a little speed. You know, and I don't know if they're going to be able to find that on the buyout market. And they certainly need. It's funny, you know, last year. Magic and Rob. They need uh, they need Michael Jordan in his prime. I mean, as yeah. long as you're asking for things. Yeah, I mean, my, Magic and Rob went overboard with the whole playmaker thing and just basically was like for you know forgot about shooting. This year they went three three and you know three D shooting and all that stuff, but now they don't. They need playmaking and they just need one other guy to kind of help out with that when LeBron is on the bench, well, like Kirk said. I I don't understand why they don't play Caruso more. I know he's young and unproven, but I I think a lot of times good things happen when Caruso plays. But it's clear that they're they're looking for another option uh, besides that. Kirk, I wanted to ask you about this one thing that was interesting that happened here. The Houston Rockets um, could have claimed uh, could have claimed Markeith Morris if I'm not mistaken. They have a traded player exception. He only makes three point two million. I, I don't know. I know they just signed. Um, you know, they just signed a couple of guys. They just signed um, Jeff Green and um, Demari kind of, Carroll was the other guy. Uh, Demari Carroll, right? He bought. He got bought. Um, I know it's sort of um, considered bad business to get in the way of, uh, of, a, of a player who's got a buyout destination lined up. But correct me if I'm wrong. But wouldn't Markeith Morris be a good fit for them? Uh, uh, yes, he would be a perfect fit for them. I think you're right. He's he's, he's a perfect player to play alongside uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Um, but you know the the Morris brothers uh, are men of their word, and they would probably <laughs> <laughs> that's a politically right. correct way of putting it. You know, right. uh, you know, he's Boy, probably wanted to go to Los Angeles. You're, uh, so there's you're, some stuff behind the scenes going on that we're not Spurs, aware of. Uh, your, your, your Spurs <laughs> colors just showed there, uh, Goldsberry. Uh, hey, but I wanted to say one thing about that. You said the point is a strong point about the Morris is that you know Vogel has to figure out who his core five is. The other. The way to look at that, Brian, is like he has some different guys to go to. He has some versatility. And I've been around Danny, and I love Danny, and Danny's going to be the guy eight times out of ten. But those other two times out of ten, it might be KCP or now Markeith Morris that does give him a really nice option. Um, so I think what we might see is is the Lakers using these last two months to figure out maybe it's not the last five, but who has the hot hand, who's been playing well, especially because so many of these guys are kind of streaky three-point shooters, um, Danny Green included. So I don't know if they have to identify the core five, but they have to sort of identify a rotation that will help them go with the hot hand in any given situation on any given night. Well, I am, I've got my popcorn out on Dion. Um, so we'll, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not saying they're for sure going to go that route. Obviously, he's represented by Rich Paul. Um, but I'm telling you, it's not an automatic thing there. LeBron, LeBron, he doesn't, Dion doesn't just have to convince – 
the Lakers. He's got to convince LeBron. He's got to convince LeBron that it, you know, that it, it, it's a smart move. And the, by the way, this, I know there was a lot of reaction to the Lakers waving DeMarcus Cousins. Like, yeah. how dare you? Um, the league has already said that DeMarcus is deemed out for the year. Um, they uh, they wouldn't have given them the the uh, injured player exception if they didn't believe that. And I know he that can remain he can remain in rehab with the team too. Yeah, well, yeah I, I know that he said he thinks he's going to be ready for the playoffs, but what he says and what the team who sees him every day says are two different things. Secondly, yeah. they have they have two functioning centers. Right. Yeah. Um, and I also saw some people saying that, boy, it's really classy for the Lakers to let him hang around the team. I mean, it is nice of them to be so welcoming. That said, it is required by the player contract that if you get hurt, that you are you have availability <laughs> to remain uh, using the team facilities. I, I mean, they're certainly being inclusive. I mean. But- one thing, one thing, Demarcus had Demarcus been able to come back, and even if he had come back, he we don't know what he would have been. But um, you know, look, the difference between him and the centers they have now is that he would might be able to spread the floor a little bit for them, and I think that's where Markeith fits in, where he can come in and he can kind of spread the floor a little bit, be able to be a big that can hit from outside, uh, add more toughness to them, and maybe even be a post up option, which is not necessarily something that Dwight and Javale can do, anyways. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've made this clear. I think Markeith is a really good signing because he's an option to be in their finishing five. Yeah. And right now they don't have a solid finishing five. He may not end up being that guy. There's a there's a long history of buyout guys, and there's a handful that have been super impactful. The majority are not. But that said, to get a guy like that at this stage of the game, not bad. Wendy, is um, there no is there no chance that Derrick Rose could be bought out? No, there's no chance. I mean, he has a he has he's under contract for next year at a good number, and from what I understand, when the Lakers called the uh, the Pistons and uh, you know expressed an interest in trading for Derrick Rose, the Pistons said, "Hey, we appreciate you calling. We're not trading him. Dwayne Casey likes him. We think he's going to be important for us for next year. It's not even about what the Lakers offered. It wasn't enough. He just wasn't available. Mm. So um, I think that I mean." Um, you know, and I, and, I, and I don't blame him, but he would have been, you know, there's a reason why that they wanted him. We've all had our fair share of bad breakfasts. Those beige plastic wraps, brick-shaped protein bars, day-old donuts, frozen breakfast trays, not our finest hour. But now that McDonald's McChicken breakfast sandwiches are on the breakfast menu, you can never go back to that old breakfast life. That's a breakfast worth giving up for. Buttery, crispy McChicken biscuits and savory, sweet chicken McGriddles, freshly prepared and now available nationwide at McDonald's. That's how you wake up breakfast. So speaking of the Clippers and the and the other Morris twin, um, Clippers had a bad loss uh, um, on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, lost at home to the Kings, who are playing better for sure. Um, the Clippers have now lost three in a row. They're now six and a half back of the Lakers. Um, and the Houston Rockets, who we'll talk about in a minute, um, are smoking hot. And they've won um, seven out of ten. And they are now on the Clippers' heels for the number three seed. The, the, the Rockets, who who just a few days ago felt like they were going to slip to seventh, maybe, are now um, are smoking hot. Uh, have, have the Clippers made any sort of announcement, by the way, on the timetable for Paul George, who's out again with the hamstring injury? No, he got upgraded today to questionable. Now, Paul, Paul George and Patrick Beverly, and I was surprised about this, practiced on Thursday and Friday in full. And I thought when Paul George hurt himself in Boston, even if Paul tried to tell Doc that it was was a minor hamstring, this was the third time he had hurt his left hamstring. 
And I was just like, well, the Clippers are probably just better off holding him out for a while, making sure he comes back healthy. Because, you know, a hamstring, that thing can linger all season long. But he's practiced uh, two practices where they were supposed to have a practice today. They ended up just doing a film session. But he up, he got upgraded to questionable for tomorrow. It doesn't mean he's going to play. But it seems like he's on track to get a little bit better and getting closer to playing. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's had the hamstring injury three times, and Beverly is – had his groin, groin. injury yeah. four times or three, yeah. three or four. Uh, yeah, and so he Beverly has missed five straight games. George uh, earlier in the season missed nine straight in January right. with the the hamstring and missed a total of ten. So now I think it's like eleven or twelve games he's missed. So look, I mean, I I wrote a piece that you helped me with a few weeks ago about how no matter all the problems the Clippers <laughs> have. It's all fixable. All yeah. of the whining, uh, uh, you know, about the special treatment or the way Kawhi goes about his business will all be forgotten if he's healthy and great in the playoffs, just like it was last year. You know, there were there were definitely Raptors players who were irritated with the way Kawhi was going about the regular season, and nobody remembered it when they were going <laughs> when they were going down their parade. Um, uh, Those, that's actually not something I'm worried about. You know what I'm starting to worry about with the Clippers? There's there's some things that I watch and I'm like, okay, you know, this is this is fine. They'll be fine come playoff time. There's some things I watch and I'm like, how does this keep happening over and over again? And it's and and I try like chemistry wise, you see some things like there was a play where Kawhi Leonard was on a fast break and he threw a pass. He had Montrez Harrell to his left, kind of starting to fill in the lane and further ahead was Landry Shamit. And I think Shamit thought he was going to go after the three point line and Kawhi threw it toward the basket and Shamit didn't cut and it ended up being a turnover at a and critical flipped, juncture. He, and he flipped out. Yeah. Which he, he never, upset. which he, which he right. never does. That never to me does. is a chemistry thing that'll come with practicing. But one thing that does that to me is inexplicable is the fact that their defenses look so bad in so many games. And I'm not even talking about team defense. They can't stay in front of guys. They can't keep guys from penetrating. Like last night, Darren Fox get to the rim whenever he wanted to. And then closing out on threes. I mean, the Kings should have had way more three-pointers. The first time they beat them like three weeks ago, the Kings hit an absurd amount of three-pointers. They could have hit almost as many yesterday. Uh, They just missed some. But like the Clippers defensively at times – look really bad like as good as their defenders supposed to be they can't stay in front of guys they can't keep guys from penetrating and they can't seem to close out in the three-point line i mean i thought this was going to be an all-time great defensive team and Me too. Uh, they haven't been um but the, but my, you know that's what your concern is my concern kirk is that i keep quality i said this before i'll just r- say it again they, I keep qualifying everything with well, assuming they're healthy. Assuming they're healthy, yeah. We're now at the end of February. They haven't been healthy at all. I mean, at what point do we just assume that they're not going to be healthy? <clears throat> Pretty soon, but maybe not yet. I think. Look, you guys have been covering the league a lot longer than me. You know that there's always a huge injury or two that affect the playoffs. Um, and I'm not going to put any curses on the Clippers by any means, but I think if you're you're, you're just looking at their history this year, it's like. Man, you guys pointed it out. They're very likely to be down a man or two in a big series. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you know, look yeah. at their last five games. They're a bad basketball team. They're one in four. Um, they have a negative net rating. As Om alluded to, their defense has never been what we thought that it would be. At this point, to your point, Brian, it takes a little bit of blind faith, if not a lot of blind faith, to be like, yeah, these guys are the favorites in the West. Their defense you, has been good against the Lakers. <laughs> when they play the true. Lakers, they're locked in. They're, yeah, they're locked in. Hey, but and yeah, that's that, a fair point. They've beaten the Lakers twice in definitive yeah. style. Yeah. And Kirk, well, like, you know, they, they've, they've, had their, they've had their full lineup available, I think, for four games this season. And Doc said yeah, the other day, it's not even really the games he's more worried about. It's the practices that he's not having a full roster available to practice. And he finally had that for two days before, you know, holding out the two guys on Saturday and then they lost. But at some point, these bad losses are going to add up. And, and Brian, you're right. They do not want to drop past three. They don't want to face the Lakers in the second round. They want to make sure that they face the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And if they keep blowing these games, I mean, I was counting the other day, they have at least seven or eight losses that are bad that they should have won. If they win those games, they're right in contention for the top seed in the West. But forget about the top seed. At least finish two or three. You can't finish lower than that because you don't want to face the Lakers in the second round. 
you know, and the Lakers are going to, I mean, barring a pretty significant change in events, the Lakers are going to be the top seed. They have yeah. a five game lead. I mean, um, we have, our two top seeds are pretty established. The Bucks have a six and a half game lead. Um, but uh, yeah, on, to, uh, to Ohm's point, the the five and six teams are both one game behind. I think the four and five teams, sorry, are both one game behind the Clippers right now, and the Clippers are losing. Uh, um, and you know they 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 have a tough couple of games ahead coming up. They're they have Memphis this week. They have Denver, Sixers, Thunder at Houston, Lakers. Like they could very well be on in the four seed uh, or even the five seed. Uh, by the end of the week, guys. And I think that is an interesting development. If that starts to happen, then the, then the conversation will change around that team. Hey, are you tired of that 2.30 feeling? You're not alone. In fact, research shows that more than 70% of us hit the wall after lunch. That's why you should let a five-hour energy shot help you leap over that wall instead of crashing into it. Anyone who travels frequently also knows how tiring that can be. Whether you're on trips for business or vacation, one of those five-hour energy shots can help you stay alert and energized wherever you may be headed. Five-hour energy helps get you through your crazy on-the-go life with zero sugar, just four calories, and a convenient portable size. It's the perfect pick-me-up for a busy, hardworking person. And now it comes in two great extra-strength tropical tastes, strawberry, banana, and tropical burst. They're delicious, and they can take you to a tropical on-the-go experience. Try them both, then go online to shop the number 5 ourenergycom and use our code HOOP to receive 10% off your order. That's the number 5 ourenergycom code HOOP. 5-Hour Energy, energy on the go. Well, one of the teams, obviously, that's, we mentioned is is moving on him is Houston. Houston's won seven to ten, um, which is roughly about the time when they started to go to the super small lineup. Although they started at even before that, um, I think something interesting has happened. They have played the Jazz three times in this stretch since they went to the uh, you know six, seven, and under lineup. And the reason I find that interesting is not just because the Jazz have you know, a great center, uh, an all NBA quality center in Rudy Gobert. Um, but that means that the jazz have had the opportunity to tweak their game plan several times. Um, and they, they went two and one in those games against the jazz. Uh, and one of the wins happened. Um, I think Harden missed the game. It was in, uh, in Salt Lake or maybe it was Westbrook, but, uh, Eric Gordon scored 50 that night. Yeah. Um, but, Last night, the Jet, you know, and Quinn Snyder's, you know, he's one of the leading tacticians in the league. And I'm not saying he threw everything he had at him, but um, they had a game plan that they've had more practice against the Rockets than anybody. This is, this is not new to them. And they did what, um, you know, a lot of teams have been doing, which is they put their big man on Westbrook because Westbrook is the least likely guy to shoot the three at least effectively. And so they, the best chance for, for Gobert to be able to stay near the hoop is to put him on Westbrook. And that's essentially the way it's gone. And um, the Rockets have won. And, 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 the, and the game that they lost in that matchup was at the buzzer. Could have gone either way. Came right down to it. Um, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich hit that brilliant shot. Uh, they very easily could have won that game. So they almost are 3-0. and uh, They're not. It's 2-1. and but, you know, Kirk, I think it's been instructive because the thing I keep saying about this Rockets thing is I just don't think the junk ball holds up in a series. And I don't mean offensively. I know that they're going to score. I mean defensively. That's right. Um, and rebounding uh, in a playoff setting. Because one of the things that, that they are so effective at is just playing with speed. Well, the speed – becomes mitigated somewhat in the postseason and um, rebounding becomes more important. And I think they're, they're sensitive there, but you know, if this was a series against the jazz, which by the way, if the playoffs started tomorrow, it would be rockets jazz rockets would be up two one. Yeah. And I think you hit you. First of all, you took all my notes. So uh, (laughs) so sorry. I'll I'll make do with what I have left. Um, But Capella's last game as a rocket before the trade was January 29th. And you mentioned there, 
They're seven and two since then. Uh, the offense is going to be great. Small ball offense we know is going to be great. And as you correctly pointed out, Brian, the question marks are on the other side of the court. They are below average defense. Um, even through the successful stint, they are below average defense. Uh, and they are literally the worst rebounding team in the NBA. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking at, at this small ball experiment, it's pretty safe to say that they're going to kill it on offense. They have James Harden. They have Mike D'Antoni. They have Russell Westbrook, who's, who's now playing smart basketball, uh, attacking the basket. He's their leading scorer in this stretch. Um, they're going to be just fine on that end of the court. It's can Robert Covington guard centers? Can B.J. Tucker guard centers? If they're playing the Lakers, who is guarding Anthony Davis? And right. one of their wins in that seven-game stretch, um was against the Los Angeles Lakers. They beat them by 10 points in Staples right before the All-Star break. Um, so Rockets fans can throw it right back in my face. <laughs> and, and I can say, I can say, but if I'm, if I'm rooting for the Rockets, I would say, okay, how is the worst rebounding team that's playing small ball going to stop a, a Dwight Howard or a Anthony Davis in the playoffs, uh, in a more physical environment? I think that's the big question with this group going forward. Right, like, 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 or like Jokic. When they faced Jokic yeah. last month, well, they did have Capella on that team, so they were playing differently, but Jokic had a triple double against them. So that's certainly going to be a concern. If I'm the Rockets, I want the Clippers in the playoffs right. because they've already faced each other, I think, three times, and the Rockets, I think, have won two of them. And in each of those games, it was like a lot of drama. Um, it was heated. You don't say. The Rockets were. Oh, by the, the way, oh, um, we all want that matchup. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not. It, just, I, but I'm, I'm. I think the Rockets have a chance against the yeah. Clippers in a seven games. I wasn't willing to say that about a month and a half ago, but now you know the way they're playing in that small ball. Why not? I mean, look, uh, Doc doesn't play Zubac, and this has been some, a little bit of an issue. He doesn't play Zubac in the fourth quarter. He plays Montrez Harrell, uh, and now he's got Marcus Morris to play at center a little bit at times too. Uh, so Zubats and his length and his height is going to be is not really going to be there against the Rockets because I just don't think Doc really trusts him down the stretch. He wants more of Montrez Harrell, so that figure fits in right against the Rockets. If I'm the Rockets, I think I want to face the Clippers. Hmm. I, I don't know. I, my instincts tell me it's just not going to work, but I, I have to be open minded about it. I really do. Um, one thing I'll tell you is that with Clint Capella's heel, which you know I, I don't know, he's not playing at all for the Hawks since the yeah. trade. Maybe they would have if – if it's a playoff race, it would be different. It's my – from what I understand, from what I've been told, Mike D'Antoni had kind of planned to do this regardless of Clint Capella. Like he felt that this was the way to go. This was the way they were going to play and that even if Capella had been healthy and was a member of the Rockets, they were going to go this route. And you know, and I don't know 100% how true this is. It's just what I've been told. But maybe Daryl Morey – pulled a fast one here because maybe Clint Capella was going to be out of the rotation, even if healthy. Wow. And, and maybe he just moved him and was able to get uh, assets. I still didn't love the trade because I, again, they, they got, they, they gave away a first round pick to get under the tax. I just feel like they could have used an extra player. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't spend an owner's money for him. If an owner doesn't want to be in the tax, um, and he's looking at a team that's in fifth place and is like, I'm not going to pay the tax for a team that's in fifth place. I, I can't, I, I can't, you know, it's, it's not my money. But, um, so I didn't love the trade because part of the mission with the trade was to get out of the tax. But, um, if they were all, if they were, if they had decided they were not going to play with Capella anymore and that this was going to be their primary attack, um, then they may have pulled a pretty good maneuver to get, you know, get rid of Capella at value and get Covington, uh, who helps this pursuit. Uh, I don't know how true that is. I, I, you know, it's easy in hindsight. Everybody kind of has their stories, but that's the way it's been presented to me. Um, I don't know. But I have to say, I mean, what they're doing is audacious, and at least it makes some sense with their personnel. Um, I felt like um, you know, I felt like it was – it was a, a it's it's a it's a calculated gamble. Hey, Kirk, you know you did that thing about you know there's only two MVP candidates. If if the vote was today, would James Harden be on your ballot of five? Oof, 
Well, I think overall, yeah. I mean, if I really sit down and think about it, I wouldn't be as affected by the recency bias that I'm affected by right now. Um, the last three, four weeks, he has been not himself, and I'm not sure what's going on, and there's starting to be some chatter about that. Um, it's a great story that it's Russell Westbrook's team now, but why is it Russell Westbrook's team? Um, this is the highest usage player we've seen in the last five years, and in the last few weeks, uh, the dude has, has seemingly taken a back seat. Uh, and his numbers are down. His activity was down. One of the games in the streak, I was just looking up, he shot 10 times. I mean, this is crazy. We were used to this guy shooting 25 times. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, Brian, he is still in my group of five because of the totality of his campaign this year. Um, but if present trends continue, that might be a different answer by the end of the season. Yeah, I, I was asked for something for a segment of the jump to put together my top five for MVP. And I hadn't really thought about it recently, yeah. and then I started to think about Harden. I mean, Ohm, you know, you know, th- this is obviously a guy who won the MVP two years ago. If you ask Daryl Morey, should have two or three MVP awards, and obviously was runner up last year. Um, who is really not there right now? And again, the Rockets are playing well. It's not like it's a problem. But it's interesting what's going on there. Well, you wonder how much of it is, you know, um, him maybe just – it's it's hard for me to even say that he's deferring to Russell Westbrook, you know. It's it's hard to even imagine that or think about that because to me this is supposed to be Harden's team. But when you look at the numbers, there's games where he has like 11 points, 14 points, and then he'll have 40. Um, and he's still, of course – that dangerous threat that can score from any point on the court. But yeah, you're, I do wonder sometimes when you look at him, you're like, what's going on? And you kind of have to think, well, maybe he's just like looking at the bigger picture and maybe saying, okay, let's let Russ kind of, you know, get comfortable here, feeling good and come playoff time. We're going to figure it out. But that's one thing that I've always, I, I didn't think we'd see Russell Westbrook this good and James Harden kind of take a step back. That never kind of really occurred to me when they uh, signed up to when they got Westbrook. Yeah, I um, I don't know. It's it's you know some, one of the things that was happening was the you know, he was averaging like thirty seven points or something like that, and so teams right. started trapping him uh, to get the ball out of his hands. And so part of the antidote of that style of defense is to go super small like this, so that if you trap him, you just can't cover enough ground with the speed and the uh, agility of everybody out there. Um, but uh, hmm, worth watching. Um, hey, one thing on that, Brian. How crazy would it be if Chris Paul ends up higher than James Harden in the MVP voting this year? Well, the 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 Thunder just wrapped a, another impressive victory. Um, they just beat the Spurs a few minutes ago. I finished it off. Um, Royce uh, Young from our staff wrote a really good piece over the weekend about how the closing lineup that the Thunder use, which employs all three of their you know, quote unquote point guards, Shea Gildas Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, and Chris Paul, um, is far and away the most devastating five man clutch lineup in the league and one of the most devastating clutch lineups we've ever seen in the NBA based on the numbers, at least. And Chris Paul is the leading scorer in the clutch this season by like uh, 15 or 20 percent. He's got more than points than anybody else, um, which leads you to, which, which leads you to wonder. Do they go from a really good story to a really threatening team? If they have such a great clutch team and this works, aren't they? Shouldn't they be regarded as very dangerous? Um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at with that. But uh, I think I think they're a team that that the top teams in the West don't want to face in the first round, not because they don't think they can win that series, just because they know it's going to be a grind. That mm-hmm. first seven game series is going to be, it's going to be more of a grind than you would expect facing a sixth or seventh seed, which is where probably OKC could be unless they can climb to six. But I just feel like, like, for example, from the Clippers standpoint, uh, the Clippers, when they played OKC, it, the games were a grind. And I don't know if you want a seven game series right off the bat where every game is going to be a grind and they're just going to mentally test you like that, like OKC can. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. If you're a team like the Denver Nuggets, you don't want anything to do with that. The yeah. Chris Paul and, and Steven Adams. And I've gone through countless playoff games in Oklahoma City as a member of the Spurs, and that is a brutal environment. Uh, yeah. One of the hardest playoff environments to win in. Uh, and it'll be on fire, you know. And if they steal the first game on, on the road somewhere, 
uh, and then it coming back. Yeah, yeah, that is a nightmare. And I think you're right, Brian. I think it's starting. The narrative is starting to change from a nice story to like, wait a second, Gallinari, Chris Paul, Stephen Adams, Shea in the playoffs. Like that, that's a team I don't want to see because they can put it together and score. And I think they're built for war. Um, and Billy Donovan should be in consideration for coach of the year with what he's yeah. done. Like this is a team that I, I do think you're, you're exactly right, Brian. I think the story's going to change. Yeah, the interesting thing about it is, is that Billy was so beaten down last at the end of last season that there yep. are people in the league who wondered, not that he would get fired, but whether he might resign. Um, he was just not in a good place mentally, and you know, and if Westbrook had stayed there, I don't know if he's the coach right now. To be honest with you, um, I don't know. Maybe that was a. Uh, you know, after a cooling off period, he wouldn't have felt that way, but they really grinded on each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, so this was, uh, an opportunity for him to roll up his sleeves and do some of his best coaching. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, he was presented with, a, he was presented with a team that was kind of off balance. Um, because it, they didn't, they did, this wasn't a, a roster that had been planned for over the course of many years. It was sort of mismatched. And, um, and he's really made a good go of it. And, you know, he is a candidate for coach of the year. And Sam Presti is a strong candidate for executive of the year. And he traded his two best players. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, which is, um, really a, a study in the, the way the NBA is, is, um, is it can, you know, things go, things, things are not always what they, what they seem. So, um, all right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Um, uh, Ohm, um, we're keep an eye on these Clippers. I, uh, I'm still not ready to take away my pick. I, not that I make predictions, but my feeling that they're the favorite in the West. But um, keep an eye on that. Definitely. Um, and uh, Kirk, I know you've got some good things because uh, I've I was asking some questions for your features at the all-star weekend. So I know you've got some good things coming. So uh, you got some, some irons in the fire. So we'll be talking to you about that soon. Everyone hope you have a good week. Um, and we'll talk to you later this week. Uh, thanks for listening to the hoop collective. <laughs>